All right, before we go into the scriptures today, I wanted to uh, make some announcements for us here and for the folks at, at home. Um, Tuesday at 7.30, there is a Zoom call that Becky is leading to pray uh, with workers, especially volunteer with our kids, pray for our kids with one another. From 7.30 to 8, I'd encourage you to jump in with that, especially if you're involved with volunteering with our kids. It'll be a good time. Uh, secondly, our, uh, our youth group is out on a snow tubing trip right now. It's a literally cool way to hang out outside together uh, for some time. They'll come back this evening. Um, so hopefully that'll go well. We'll see some great pictures and nobody will go to the hospital because they did something too crazy. Um, that's led by Ricky Parlier. He's our director for youth ministry. Um, he and Jessica are in the midst of uh, raising money to start um, moving towards full-time missions. They've been appointed as EPC missionaries. So right now they're trying to raise, uh, uh, I forget the number, I think 6,867, something like that. Um, so that Ricky can quit his job and really work here and full-time, as close to full-time as possible, raising money. So right now, somebody has agreed in our church uh, to match gifts up to $3,200 to help get them on their way. So if you want to give towards that, when you give, you can write your check to Valley Hope Church, and then in the memo line, just write Parlier Missions, P-A-R-L-I-E-R, Parlier Missions. We'll keep track of that for them, and They'll be on their merry way. Um, finally, um, this week, uh, what day was that? I think Friday morning, maybe Thursday. Uh, the Holdens had their baby girl. Um, Caroline went to the hospital in emergency circumstances. She had developed. What's up, Piper? Piper wants to come in. Come on in. Uh, Caroline had gone to the hospital under emergency circumstances. But the baby's fine. The little girl is fine. Uh, Caroline's fine. They're just very tired because of the way that everything happened. She did text me uh, between services and say that uh, because she's a little bit early, she's having uh, a little bit of problems clearing her lungs. Um, that usually happens as the baby right in the last few weeks of delivery. So they're even more tired because they had to sit with her upright for a long time. So pray for them, their family, to get some rest and some wellness. I don't have really many more details than that. They're, they're busy right now. So hopefully I'll be able to tell you more later. Pray for the Holdens. We thank God for the life of this little girl, uh, that she's here safe and sound. All right, uh, today we're going to be... Um, Continuing with the lectionary text for the season of Epiphany, that's going to change soon as uh, we get closer to Lent, and we'll talk more about that later. But first, we'll be in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, and then briefly over to 1 Corinthians in the Gospel of Mark. Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. 
Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then we'll read verse 10 to find out the result of that. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, starting at verse 29, we're just going to read a few verses here. St. Paul writes, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And then finally, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, starting at the 14th verse. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active. And we ask, God, that the work of the word would be done in our hearts, that we would respond God, we pray that you would move our hearts to believe, to think, to feel rightly, and to give our whole lives over to you, to your service. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, the, the book of Jonah, if you have kids, is maybe one of the more famous, notable stories uh, because of what happens to Jonah. Uh, Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and to preach mercy and repentance to this city. And, and Nineveh is an evil city. Uh, it's the capital of an evil empire. Jonah doesn't want to go. He gets on a boat and goes literally in the opposite direction, as far as possible as it is to go. And God stops him in his tracks, and Jonah is thrown into the water. And what happens? He's swallowed by a fish. Um, you may have been told it's a whale. It's, it's a fish. It's a fish that swallows him. He goes into the belly of the fish. He repents after some days, and the fish swims to the shore and pukes him out onto the shore. And we pick up the story. After this has happened, God tells him again, now go to Nineveh and tell them. And he does it. And they repent uh, because they hear of the message of God's forgiveness. Now, Jonah is not eager to go. He does not want to go. And as you read the book of Jonah, he, Jonah's the prophet. Jonah's the one who is speaking the word of the Lord. But you are not supposed to finish the four chapters of the book of Jonah and say, man, I'm on team Jonah. Let's be like Jonah. Jonah is not a role model. He's not a good prophet. He's a bad prophet. 
By the end, you are meant to say, I should not be like Jonah. You should not. He, you might think, is uh, unwilling or reticent to go preach to the Ninevites because he's afraid. But that's not really why he's going. He's not really afraid of violence being done to him. He's afraid of a particular thing that would happen. He's afraid that these terrible Ninevites would hear of God's mercy for them and they would respond and that God would actually forgive them. He does not want this to happen. That's why he's running far away. So when we're reading in Jonah chapter 3 is Jonah's worst nightmare. This is the thing that's happening. God is going to forgive them. What Jonah would prefer is that Jonah goes to deliver a message. God is going to smoke you. And then God does that. What he wants is the comet out of the sky, the fire, the salt, the whole thing, and to nuke those people off the face of the earth. He does not want God to do the thing that God says he wants to do, which is to forgive them and to give them mercy. Jonah is called to go preach this message of God's outward grasp and intention to bring people close to him. And this same kind of task is what then is threaded through the entirety of Scripture. St. Paul, in, writing, in the writing to the Corinthians, is in the midst of this section of telling the people that they should, in the place and time that God has called them, both geographically and the state of their life, wherever God has called them, they should act then to serve God. And they, should, they don't need to alter something about their life. In the state that he has called them, act and go with him. And you can kind of hear the urgency in the verses that we read. What he's basically telling them is, whatever your affairs are with the world, married or single, rejoicing or mourning, whatever it is, act as if those things aren't the central task of your life. The time is growing short. The way of this world is passing away. It's time to move with God. And in the Gospel of Mark, you can see that kind of immediate action. Mark, his Gospel is kind of marked by this word, immediately. If you read it and pay attention, he, Mark is saying all the time, immediately, immediately, immediately. He is a man on the go. That's why he doesn't start with the birth narrative. When you read the Gospel of Mark, he starts with Jesus on the march. He's going. And Jesus is calling these fishermen and telling them, come with me. Come with me, and I, you're fishers of fish, I'll make you fishers of men. And these disciples, who will become disciples, they're not quite disciples yet, they are in the middle of their daily life. They are in their vocational tasks. They are on the clock. They are busy doing what they are supposed to do. And when Jesus calls them, their response is not, well, look, Let's meet back here in a month, and at that point, I'll have all my loose ends tied up. I will have replacement for me in my job. My two-week notice will be fulfilled. I'll get everything squared away at home, and then I'll be ready. Their response is immediate. They embody Mark's vocabulary. They immediately set down their nets, their identities, their work, their friends, their vocation, and they go to follow Jesus. And this is really at the heart of what the scriptures call us to, is to see that God is on the move. God is moving in 
and throughout the world. And it is tempting to believe that we are called once a week to attend a show. And this arrangement at times is not helpful for that. You come in, you sit down, or right now you're at home and you pull up the live stream. You sit, you watch, you listen, and then you leave and you go do something else, which is the same thing that you do when you go to the movie theater, when people went to the movie theaters, when you go to concerts, when you go to plays. This is the same set of behaviors you enact all the time. So it's beginning to be easy to think that I act the same way with God. Once a week I come and I listen to a show and then I leave. But what the scriptures are telling us instead is that we are called to go with. We are called to leave here with God. We are called on Monday to get up and go with God to wherever he is going and whatever he is doing in the darkness of the world. In this season of epiphany, we are being reminded constantly by the text that God is at work moving towards the darkness to shed at his light. You are called to participate in that task. Now, Jonah refuses initially because of this particular objection. He is disgusted by the Ninevites, and for good reason. They're not good people. If you watch VeggieTales' version of this, it's because they slap people with fish, right? But they're much worse than fish slappers. That's, they're way worse than that. Ninevites are, are terrible people in a lot of ways. And Jonah is disgusted by them, doesn't want God to extend mercy to them. Now, you and I would probably say, I would never say that about anyone. I would never say, I don't want God to be merciful to somebody. But the question is, is that really true? Is that really true? In the quietness of your heart, it's important to pay attention to that question. Because right now in the culture in which we live, we are being constantly discipled into despising, into being filled with disgust for all kinds of people. The question is, those people that most infuriate you and disgust you, do you really want God to have mercy on them? The people in that political party or that sexual identity or gender identity or that socioeconomic status or those people that have done those things to you, do you really want God to show mercy on them? And more pointedly, are you prepared to hear God tell you personally to go tell them. Because the question is not, theoretically, am I okay with the Democrats or the Republicans receiving the mercy of God? The question is, am I in practice and personally ready to go extend the hand of God's mercy to them? Because if you're comfortable just saying, in theory, it's fine with me, then in practice, you're no different than Jonah. You can hop on a boat or you can stay in your living room, whatever you want to call it, but you are not coming anywhere close to the place where God is calling them. In your disgust, you are moving away from them. See, it's, it's a lot easier to be Jonah than at first it might seem. 
which is why we read the scriptures. Because the scriptures split us open and begin to speak the truth to us that we might otherwise delude ourselves from hearing. But we have other reasons besides disgust for not going where God might send us. We might be afraid. We might be afraid of communicating the gospel to people who need to hear it. Now, what are we afraid is going to happen? In our particular cultural location, they'll probably in the South be polite to us and then never talk to us again and talk about us behind our backs. That's the most likely scenario. Now, they might be more rude to you, to your face, but that is the limits of the things that will happen to you. Are you going to have your house burned down or suffer physical violence because you preach the gospel? No, you're not. But that's not to say the things that you're afraid of are not real. It's not fun to lose relationships. It's not cool to know that people are talking about you out there behind your back. It's not fun. It is something to be afraid of. But I would wager, if you're like me, that it's probably not even disgust or fear that prevents you from going the places where God is going. It's just that you just don't care. Now, you would say, in moments of clarity, you and I, of course I care. But talk is cheap and easy. And the real truth of it is, in my day-to-day life, I am busy. My family knows Jesus. Most of my friends, the vast majority of my friends, know Jesus. And I just don't have the time or the energy to care that anybody else does. Now that is sobering because I know when I say it, I cannot possibly believe that. I ought not to believe it. But the central claim of Christian people, little Christs, which is what Christians are, we put our name on our foreheads. If we really believe that about what we say about Jesus, then we have to believe together that the most important person in the whole history of the universe is Jesus Christ. And every single person in the whole world in the history of humanity is better for knowing him. And if I actually believed that was true, that should bear some sort of weight on the way that I live my life. But it would be fair for you to look at my life the way that I look at my life, the way that I think Scripture examines my life and say, but is that really true? Do you actually live the way that you say that you believe? And the truth is, I often do not. And... In biblical terms, we've got language for that. It's hypocrisy. It is saying one thing and doing another. I am a hypocrite. I can see and hear the movement of God in the scriptures to constantly be pushing outwards. 
The people of Israel were not meant to just sit in the land of Israel and be friends with God and just have a me and God kind of relationship. We often think that, that Israel was like that, but the scriptures are full of commands for Israel to be a kind of people who gather the nations in. And in Jesus, we see the perfect Israelite, the perfect embodiment of what God wanted to do in the Old Testament. And what is he doing? He's coming close. He's moving out. He's gathering the outcasts. He's looking always out for the people who are furthest away, and he's gathering them in. That is the way that God is in all of Scripture. And where am I? I'm saying I believe it and celebrating it and doing often whatever I want I have to say that I am often a hypocrite. Now, the first thing that we need to hear when we acknowledge that about ourselves is the gospel. Jesus has only ever loved hypocrites. He's never yet found a disciple who has failed to live up to the thing they say they believe. And if you are weighted down by the hypocrisy of your life, the inability to live what you believe all the way down to your bones, you are the kind of person that Jesus has gathered to himself. He knew, always he knew, that it would be fickle and failure-filled people like me that he would love. And in fact, Jesus answers this impulse and embodies it, the conspiracy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all of time. And he enters in to the place where Jonah might fail. Jonah's like me who run away. He then goes down into the belly of the fish that consumed Jonah for punishment and went down to where I should reside and then bust out the other side. For me, for my sake, the one who would run away from him. And when I see that, when I meditate and when I feast on that gospel, that ministers and refills me again. And so I become somebody who becomes more excited to talk about Jesus. The more that you look at him, the more that you meditate on him, the more that you understand on what God has done in pursuing and approaching you, the more you are prepared to be the kind of person that goes out. So I'm not standing up here and saying, hey, just be a better person. Here's your list of things to do, and you better do it or you should feel really bad about yourself. That doesn't work, ever. But what does work is when the people of God meditate on what God has done for me apart from any of my own earning. I am not a higher class of Christian. I am not a better kind of person. I am a hypocrite. And God has come after me. And in his mercy, he's extended to me grace. He has been the kind of person who instead of destroying me or wiping me off the face of the earth, he has turned me into a follower of Jesus. So that makes me then want to set down what I'm doing. That kind of person is so winsome and loving and compelling that it makes me more ready to go out and, and to take every opportunity that he gives me. But it then does require of me that I actually go with him. Jesus doesn't ask me to come to a show. 
Jesus asked me to follow him. He is going somewhere. He's always going somewhere, and I am called to follow him. And because of what he's done for me, I want to. I really do want to. This morning, the call of the scriptures is that you would see that God has come after you. He's come after you. Whatever, whatever's on your resume, whatever's on your list, however mixed bag you are, he's come after you. And as much as you know you shouldn't be like Jonah, as much as you know that you are like him in reality, he's the person who's come to rescue you. The message of the gospel is not of shame, but of freedom. And if today you are feeling conviction, you, you say, like, I, I know that, and right now I just feel really convicted of sin that I've not gone to go with Jesus to preach the gospel. As long as you can hear that note, hearing the first things first, it's good to let him convict you. It's good to let him tell you, actually, you have been in sin, you have been going in the wrong way, and now come with me. Put down your nets, put down what you're doing, don't put it off and say, when I'm better, when I know more, when I figured this and that out, Put down your nets and go with him. And wherever you are going today, tomorrow, and every day, that is a day that you are going with Jesus, following Jesus, and continuing in this epiphany work of the light of God being shed over the whole world so that those who, who we might be disgusted of and afraid of and those who we care far too little about, those people are coming to hear of Jesus, to love him, to see him, to be embraced by him, and to be swept up into the great story of God, changing this valley by the power of the coming of his kingdom for the people who we live next to and we work with and we shop with to the praise of God's name. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we, we confess that we have not lived under your lordship as we should. We, we call you Lord, and then we become boss of ourselves. Many times we, we just ignore you altogether. And for that, God, we're sorry. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to hear the notes of the gospel being played over us that our hearts would be motivated to respond to this beautiful song that you're singing over us. God, I pray that you would uh, unplug our ears so that we can hear it more clearly. God, I pray that you would fill us with love for the people that we are disgusted by, that we would not be afraid of people who cannot do anything to us. You are the one who determines our life. God, we pray that you would help us in the hardness of our heart to care, to love, to be loved by you, to respond to you in love, and to love our neighbors. God, I pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us again and again with energy and vitality and creativity, 
that we would go with you in the proclamation of the gospel wherever we are going. And that you would help us to truly believe that you'll never leave us or forsake us in this task. God, help us to be so one and so claimed by you that we can't help but respond and move with you. Jesus, we want to follow you. We're so grateful that you came after us first. God, help us to move our feet and to go with you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.